I would say it's definitely just go for it. Like I see too many, uh, you know, I'm obviously, I've been in business for a long period of time. I'm, I'm not super young, um, but I do see a lot of inexperienced founders take way too long developing an idea and getting opinions and, you know, not just starting. So I think that's really the number one thing is go for it, get started right away. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can always fix it, you know, as you go along, but what you learn from that journey after you get started is invaluable. So if you've got an idea and you think it's a great idea, get in there and start building it. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, uh, now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Brad Rice. And uh, Brad, uh, growing up, studied real estate and finances in college, um, got into real estate out of college, and I think went into the mortgage business for a period of time, um, became a top producer and decided to start his own business in around 1999. Um, and then a uh, while later, fell victim to the recession, which go figure the housing market goes down. It might be a bit tough to do mortgages. Uh, so spend a few years after that, um, cleaning up a, a bit of the, the mess, quote unquote, that had been made from the recession um, and then got back into the mortgage business and then decided in around 2018 to streamline the process, leveraging technology and build a marketplace for, um, for people or for owners to uh, do it for sale by owners um, uh, with the, that leveraging of technology. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Brad. Well, thanks, Devin. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, so I gave kind of the condensed version of a much longer journey. So let's uh, go back in time a bit and tell us how your journey kind of got started uh, studying uh, real estate and finance in college. Well, uh, certainly you did a pretty good job of it, but uh, that's that's exactly it. Look, I I didn't know what I wanted to do as I was going through college. I think as most people start college, they really don't have an idea of what direction they want to go. <clears throat> but during that period of time, um, I fell in love with real estate. Uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, so I had seen some very large companies growing in real estate uh, in the 1980s. And it just intrigued me. And so uh, as I got into college and I realized that they had a real estate major, uh, that's the direction I took. I still, even when I graduated, really didn't know what I wanted to do with that. I just knew I wanted to be in real estate, but I was getting married and uh, my wife and I were buying her parents' home. And uh, we met with a mortgage broker, sat down, had a long chat. She went through taking the loan application. And I thought, this is very interesting. I wonder what about, what about this? And that's how I got into it. And she invited me to you know, come and, and watch your work for a day. And, you know, that just kind of started uh, the process. So yeah, I wound up getting my broker's license out of college and uh, just became a loan originator. And um, I had a great mentor who just told me what to do. And I did it. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I just followed what he said. And before you knew it, I was closing five or six loans a month, which back then, so this is early nineties, 
Um, I got my license and uh, graduate college in 93. So uh, back then it was really, um, if you were doing about five or six loans a month, you were a top producer. Uh, and I was, you know, driving out, visiting people, going to their homes. I mean, it was, you know, not like it is today where you, you do everything virtually. And uh, that's about all you could do with all the travel and everything you would have to do to make that happen. <clears throat> so over, over the time, I wound up becoming a partner in the company I was working for and opened up another branch. And then, as you said, in 1999, um, there was an inflection point. That was when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were coming out with their automated underwriting. So if mm. you've been through buying a house, <clears throat> you know that uh, you know, your, your loan originator may tell you about DU or LP. or it's, you know, These are the underwriting engines that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac use. Uh, to determine whether you qualify for a loan. And they had just come out with those. And I thought, wow, you know, things are changing rapidly. We're going to want to grow um, to take advantage of this. And uh, my partner was 15 years my senior. So he, he and I, we had a great relationship, sat down, and he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just not up for it. You do it. You know, I'm behind you. And so I took mm -hmm. my branch, and he took his. And I started to grow a company called Mortgage Corp of America, um, we were doing retail under that name and wholesale under the name zone funding. Wholesale means that you have mortgage brokers that send you business and uh, grew that into a 43 state organization over the course of eight years. And uh, like you said, fell victim to the recession. So, you know, that was a crazy period of time in uh, our lives. There weren't very many of us that made it through that. Um, mm. You know, there was a big mess and uh I spent a few years on forced retirement, just kind of cleaning up that mess and selling corporate properties and all sorts of things that were involved in that. And so uh, I was a bit scathed. I ran this great company and I was actually uh, in the process of pop possible acquisition when, uh, when everything hit. And so uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to get back in the business, but ultimately I did. Now, and let me ask kind of one question, because I think that sure expanding that out because there's a lot of times whether or not it's the economy crashing and the housing market dying no fault of your own or it's something that hey i tried a business business or timing wasn't right or hey i didn't know how to market it or i didn't know how to sell. any number of reasons a lot of times startups or small businesses will go out of business for a number of reasons and you know at that point one you have you know you have a couple options i can try and go do something else whether i'll go start another business or i'll go work for you know corporate or however you want to say it, the man or the corporate or however you phrase it and you know people are always kind of in that position and some people say hey i gave it my go i give up and i don't want to you know i i came out of there bruised, bruised and battered and i don't want to go to, or take i'm not a glutton for punishment and other people kind of jump back in and say no i you know, while I got banged up, I'm still in love and enjoy this is what I want to do. So as you're kind of coming out of the recession, having to clean everything up and having to go through that, you know, kind of how did you decide which path you're going to take? Well, gosh, you, you are spot on. I mean, those were the internal voices that I was battling, you know, almost daily. And, you know, although I made out better than a lot of my colleagues, I still had a lot that was under a personal guarantee. And so it was almost a, a financial wipeout for me. You know, uh, and I was fortunate. My wife was really terrific with me during that period of time. And I know a lot of friends of mine got divorces, but, you know, we, we really strengthened our relationship. And, you know, I had never worked for anybody else, even that company that uh, I originally started with when I was originating loans. I mean, we were independent contractors. So in California, 
you could have a license and you get a 1099. So I made my own schedule, but um, you know, I just didn't see working for somebody else. I did give it a small stint. So when I, so going through the exercise, should I do another business? I looked into franchising. I looked into all sorts of different things. And um, ultimately I'm like, gosh, you don't have the same lifestyle with the same ability to earn like you can in the mortgage business. And that's what kind of drew me back in. But when I came back in, I hadn't originated loans like me personally for mm -hmm. years, like it had probably been seven or eight years. And so going back to kind of starting that over, I needed to almost relearn it. Plus the market had changed so much because of the Dodd-Frank Act and all the regulation that had put in been put in place post-recession that things were just a lot different. And so I actually did go and I worked for a large bank for a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized in that short period of time, I did acquire a lot of great knowledge, but uh, the, the folks that you report up to uh, they wouldn't even, they couldn't do your job if, if their life depended on it. And so it was a frustrating thing for me after running a big company and then having to come back to that. So ultimately I spun out and I started my own thing again. And, hmm. uh, you know, it was, it was a mental journey to get there. Um, just because of being bruised and battered, as you mentioned, it just was, you know, I felt like, gosh, you know, I was running a great company. I mean, really a fantastic company without getting into all the, the, the finite details, um, and, and it wasn't because of us, it was because of the entire market. Uh, and, and I've got lots of stories, like plenty of stories of meeting with wall street traders and things that they would say. And, you know, is, uh, if you've seen the movie, the big short, does that sound familiar to you, Devin? Sure. That was pretty close to being spot on. And, mm. uh, you know, but, but it blamed the mortgage broker, the originator, which we really weren't the ones to blame. Uh, you know, Wall Street at that time really dictated the product that you sold. And so mm. we were just the, the marchmen of that product, right? They said, here's a product to sell. It's, you know, it's now, you know, fog a mirror, right? You could have, uh, you know, a foreclosure uh, or a bankruptcy discharge yesterday and have a 500 score and put zero down and buy something. So, you know, that was the product they gave us. We didn't come up with that product. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was a... Um, it was quite the mental journey to get there, but ultimately when something's in your blood, you just kind of know it. And that's what brought me back in. So now you say, okay, brings you back in, you know, it's kind of the old, you know, the, I, every time I try and get out, they pull me back in type of a thing. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get, you know, you get either when you get the taste of entrepreneurship, you hate it. You don't want to do it again. It was a good experiment that you're, you know, thank goodness you don't have to go through that again. Or you're saying, Hey, I've, I, you know, I can't go work for someone else if, you know, the economics, you know, I just, I can always do better doing my own thing. I have my own direction. I can have the freedom and the direction to be able to build and grow it and all those things. Um, and so with that, you know, it sounds like you took the letter or the latter direction. I think that's where a lot of people arrive at, even if they're contemplating going back in and working for themselves, they just can't ever or bear it very long, if, even if they try it. So now as you get back in, you say, you know, I think one of the things we talked about is you came in and, you know, with a bit of a different approach and then tackling you. So you got back in and then you're also saying, you know, I think now fast forward just a bit to 2018 along your journey around there, you're saying, hey, I think there's an opportunity to leverage technology to make it so it can be more by for sale by owner as opposed to, you know, realtors and some of those things and, and adjust or streamline the process a bit. So how did you kind of arrive at that's where you were going to go next? Yeah, that was um, 
that was really kind of individual to the way that I operated my, my mortgage business. So in the mortgage business, you either build it based on referrals from real estate agents or consumer direct. Um, and some do both. And of course we did both, but we were really primarily focused on consumer direct. And so being consumer direct, there were many times over the years, and we're talking about, you know, close to five or 600 times in my tenure of being in the mortgage business where the buyer and seller come to you and they don't have an agent. They just know that, you know, I'm the seller and this is the buyer that's buying my home, you know, Hmm. between family members, it's a landlord tenant situations. It's whatever that story is. Um, And we plug in the ingredients, you know, as an originator, if anybody has been originating loans for any period of time, they come across this. And so we know, Hey, we're going to bring escrow in, we're going to bring title. We'll help you with a contract. And, you know, we just do it as an add-on to our to our mortgage service. Not that difficult when you know what you're doing. And mm. so that always intrigued me. It was like, gosh, you know, um, how do these people do it without having somebody like me involved in that process? And when I started to research that, so that was in 2018, which really we hadn't seen that robust market that we saw the last couple of years, right? Um, if things were a little bit slower, And I thought, you know, I'm going to look into this. This is something that I have an interest in. And what I discovered was pretty astounding. So for decades, for sale by owner or agentless sales have represented about 10% of the overall market. Now, to give you some perspective there, last year, um, Compass Real Estate became the number one brokerage by volume. They Mm -hmm. control 5.3% of the market. So mm-hmm. 10% is a very large beachhead market. And I thought, gosh, you know, that is very large. I wonder what this looks like and what they're doing, what tools they have. And I couldn't find anything. I mean, there were books to read and, and you know, forms to download, but no real process. And what I thought based on, and I'm not, a, I'm not a techie type founder. I built technology before I knew the process because I built the technology that the mortgage company ran on. So I knew about hiring developers and going through that process. But Um, I thought, you know, with where technology is today, I bet we could streamline the entire process that people get very frustrated by, and we could digitize it just very similar to taking very complicated tax returns and having it broken down into a TurboTax kind of step-by-step method. And so that's where, that's where the idea came from. Hmm. So now you, so you have the idea, you kind of go to build it. You know, you look at how you can, and I think a lot of what I, you know, I, I see a lot of the industries, mortgage industry hasn't changed a whole lot in the last, you know, hundred years. Legal industry hasn't changed a lot. And yet you can find those opportunities to make it, you know, different, streamline it, make it better and take a different approach. And if you can do it well, you can, you know, shake up the industry or, or, or find a, you know, um, find an advantage. And so as you've now started that in 2008, we're now kind of, you know, 2022. So we're four years down the road. How has that gone? Is it taken off and it's a hockey puck and you're making millions of dollars and money's raining down from the sky? Is it still kind of in process and building it or or figuring out the market, you know, or, you know, kind of give us an idea of where is it at today? Yeah, happy to. So, so um, we literally have just come out of beta that beta phase probably went longer than we wanted or anticipated it would, but we know we have it right. And it was primarily forced by, of course, the COVID shutdown. So we had built the MVP, uh, minimal viable product. 
uh, and launched or went to market in early 2020, just before COVID lockdowns. And so where we were going to raise money to go to market and really just have that kind of hockey puck type takeoff, um, we wound up not being able to raise a lot of money at the time. And so although we did spend the first 90 days spending a decent amount of money on marketing and we did see an explosive start, we decided to preserve our capital and really just make sure the product fit and that it worked. Of course, it's a big transaction. It's a lot, there's a lot of legal in, involved in it. And we just wanted to make sure there were no errors. And so we just went to iterating on the product and building a really tight customer feedback loop. And um, Devin, we've learned a lot. I mean, whereas, whereas you know, we started this as really a FISBO marketplace for sale by owner marketplace, it's mm. evolved. So it's still a seller marketplace, what we have with HomePie. But what we found is the underlying technology that we built goes far beyond that. So hmm. let me give you an idea of the evolution that, that took place. So we, we wound up um, getting, I think it was 107 listings in the first 30 days. That's how quick it went. And we're just in California. And that's our, that's our backyard. That's what we knew. And we knew if we could accomplish it in California, we could take it anywhere. So we built this and it was peer-to-peer. -peer. It was buyer and seller direct. Um, but what we realized pretty quickly is that we weren't getting the kind of traffic we needed to those properties, and we needed to be on an MLS feed so that we could wind up in all the major sites like Zillow and Redfin and Realtor, all those. <clears throat> so we attached a broker's license to the company. We got into those feeds, and then all of a sudden, the, the traffic was there. Like We knew if we got the inventory, we would get the traffic. Um, but here's where the big learning curve came in. About 70% of the buyers came in represented by agents, of course, because they're showing up on Zillow. So even though mm. the buyers are going in and finding their properties on Zillow, they're telling their agent about it. <clears throat> and so the agents were coming into the platform and it was very clunky because they were acting like they were the buyer because that's the way it was set up. And they would go through this process. What One of the biggest tools that we have is this offer negotiation tool that mm. automatically populates a purchase contract. So the negotiation happens digitally, right? And there's you, you don't have to sign things at every stage and then email them out and DocuSign and do all these things. We stripped away everything that wasn't statutorily required and we digitized the process. So it's super efficient. But they would get to the end and then they would wind up with the contract and it'd be in their name. So it really didn't work. So we had to redesign the platform to invite the agent in and then have the agent connect to the buyer. And so create this connected account hmm. where, the, where then the agent could lead them through that process. But at the end of it, the buyer signed. And so that was a big deal for us. It was a big redesign. And we learned, wow, um, through talking to these buyers, there was a lot more value placed on the buyer's agent than on the seller's agent, of course, because when you when you dive into the mentality of a for sale by owner seller, they've had a bad experience in the past. They're a DIYer. They feel like they can do anything themselves. That they overpaid. You know, whatever the story is, they're very adamant about not using agents. And so, <clears throat> the buyers, on the other hand, if they're not buying a home in their backyard, an area that they know, they place a huge value on that neighborhood experience, that knowledge that the agent mm -hmm. has. And so we thought, you know, we are actually are a lot more agent friendly than we than we thought we would be. And so we actually developed 
a whole section of the site that's devoted to agents because <clears throat> these buyers are going to have agents and we needed to show the sellers the value to the buyer's agent and it's worth paying them. So that was a real evolution for us. And, and now today we have agents that reach out to us after they've gone through the process and ask us, how do I use that software for my business? So we know that we built something you know, of value and that's part of our growth is using that software and getting it out there to even the traditional market. No, that's a, certainly an interesting evolution. Always uh, kind of interesting when you approach a market, you think, you, hey, we're solving this problem. We know where it's going. We know how to uh, manage it. And then you get into it and you say, well, you know, some things you hit spot on and other things, I think almost every business, you have to figure out what works and what, what you anticipated correctly and where you have to pivot or adjust. And it sounds like you guys kind of went through that evolution as well and, and figured out there are some additional opportunities and also areas where, you know, maybe you got it not necessarily wrong, but where you had to adjust it. So definitely interesting and uh, it makes perfect sense. So well, now as we've kind of caught up to the, the present point of, uh, of where you're at in your journey, it's always a great time to transition to the two questions always, I always ask towards the end of each episode. So with that, the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What'd you learn from it? You know, this one I think probably doesn't apply to everybody, but if you're a solo founder um, and you don't have tech experience, I didn't place enough emphasis on having either a technical co-founder or a technical advisor early enough in the process. So um, I think I could have saved some headache and some pain and some worry uh, when I hired the developers to build the platform for us. They did a great job and they did it very quickly and they, they built it to our specs, but I didn't know what they were building it on at the very beginning. You know, I didn't, I wasn't savvy enough to ask about the language and the platform and all of that. Um, and so that whole tech stack wound up being a little bit unique. Um, ultimately, I learned we actually are in a really great place, but in the period of time from the time we built it and launched it to the point where I am now, where I actually brought in a, a super expert in this tech stack, I was very worried about that we were going to have to rewrite the entire platform into something that was more streamlined and more mainstream. Uh, but it turns out that, you know, with the right people, the right developers on the case, um, we actually are in good shape. But that's something I would highly recommend is if you're not a technical founder, is bring somebody in that can really advise you and, and is very interested in advising you at the very beginning. Mm, no, and I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, sometimes, one is you're hesitant because not everybody wants, you don't always want to bring in a partner. Sometimes you work better alone or you don't want to give up the equity or, you know, you know, any number of things. And so sometimes you're saying, Hey, I don't want to bring that person on. Another time you're saying, I'd love to, but I don't even know who to approach or what, you know, what to, you know, where to go to even find that technical advisor or that uh, co-founder or anything else. And I think in all points, I think it's one where you have to put some time and effort into figuring that out. But if you don't have the technical background and you're working with a lot of technical people, it gets easy to cost can run up or can go in a direction you're not making you're understanding the decisions or that you're making and how impactful it will be. And I think having that, whether it's an advisor, a mentor, a partner, or someone that can give you that direction or be that sounding board or make sure it's in line can have a, a great impact. So I think it's one where it's easy to make that mistake, especially if you're not familiar or it's your first time through. And yet it's definitely beneficial um, as far as to, to have that uh, person on board. 100%. 
Second question I'll ask is now, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say it's definitely just go for it. Like I see too many, uh, you know, I'm obviously, I've been in business for a long period of time. I'm, I'm not super young, um, but I do see a lot of inexperienced founders take way too long developing an idea and getting opinions and, you know, not just starting. So I think that's really the number one thing is go for it. Get started right away. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can always fix it, you know, as you go along. But what you learn from that journey after you get started is invaluable. So if you've got an idea and you think it's a great idea, get in there and start building it. No, I think that that's absolutely. And I think that, you know, sometimes even just like getting in and start building it, it's really, you know, every there's, I, I I can't even think of how many people there always have that one idea that they love to pursue or they think it's worthwhile and it would be that great opportunity. And yet how many people never actually make the leap. And sometimes they could have got in, it could have been a horrible idea. And sometimes it would have been the best idea. And sometimes it would have been mediocre, but they would have had a fun time and be able to build a business around it. And I think everything is diving in, getting going, trying it out and working to build it that's the way you find out. And, and then you can find out whether it's that good idea or not. And you can see whether or not you want to do your own business or not. And I think just making that leap and getting started uh, makes or, a big or, difference. Or, or how many times have, have you heard somebody say, oh, I had that idea so long ago. I wish I did something with it, right? And it's, now it's mainstream. Yep. So exactly. you got to do it. If you, if you Absolutely. Believe, Nope. Couldn't agree more. And so now with that, now as we start to wrap up the, the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Well, obviously go to the site, go to homepie.com and check it out. There's a lot of great information in there. There's a chat feature. We have a pretty small team. So you can, you can reach out through chat at any time. You can have them get to me if you like. Um, we are in the process of putting together our Series A raise. As I said, we just came out of our, our beta. So we're super excited about that. We've got a couple of potential leads there. But uh, if you're interested in investing either as an individual or, uh, you know, a VC or you are a VC, you know, reach out to us. Um, you can also reach me directly with my email at brad.rice at homepie.com. Happy to chat. And uh, Devin, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, it's been fun to have you on. It's been a great discussion and love hearing your journey. And so with that, now as, as, as we wrap up the episode, first of all, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with the chat, us to chat, and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Brad, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. Keep in touch.